So hello everybody, bonjour, tout le poisson, and welcome to Folk on Falcons. This week we review our European adventure, winning in Buritz. We look forward to next week in Toulon, and we'll chat about a few other things in the rugby press, as well as a, an interview with Seymour Cody that some of you might have heard as well. As always, I'm joined by... Ian Joseph. And you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, if you simply type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our picture at Toulon. Um, last time, of course, we were there. And again, the same picture on Twitter. This time it's at Falcon Falcons. Lovely. So we said last week, let's hope it gets better. Um, it wasn't a thriller, but it was a pretty good ending and a pretty good first few minutes as well. Just showing about the 80 minutes in between. But um, yeah, we got there, won it. Yeah, I mean, it's no means perfect, was it, by any stretch? Um, but you know, a win's a win, isn't it? And we said that we desperately needed one from somewhere, and then when we got it, obviously it had to be a bit was a bit tense there in the last minute, uh, especially with the um, you know the, the the check at the end. But you know, as we say, a win's a win. Some improvements with a bit of a changed squad, still some of the same failings. Like I, there were times again where we were, had good territory in possession, but didn't make it count, and there were times where. We could have just kicked the easy points, went for line out. Lamar had a bit of an off day for his throws, and some of the line outs sort of went astray, and we, the opportunity kind of went. Um, and you know, you sort of think, well, you're looking for a win, it's the important game in the group, let's just get the points away from home and, and get the win, um, and not make it too hard for ourselves. But you know, in the end, a win's a win, isn't it? Certainly is, and um, we, we managed to get out there, well, we didn't, the, the, the team did. One of these ones where we kind of left it to the last minute, and I think that Newcastle Falcons it's probably our biggest political coup because we managed to force the French government's hand for updating the uh, COVID regulations on a Friday, which I think is quite unusual for them. So on Friday it was announced you didn't have to do your isolation or the rest of it; you just had to have a negative test before you got there. So off goes the chartered jet from Newcastle to Biarritz, and the game goes ahead. Yeah, I wonder if uh, Dino had a few words with Macron, do you reckon? Um, so. <laughs> Getting him to change the rules last minute. Um, but yeah, obviously we didn't wonder uh, whether the you know, was actually going to take place and, you know, all the ramifications of it not taking place. Perhaps, you know, we're worried about getting, you know, forfeit or, you know, like a nil-nil or funny points distribution. But no, obviously it was great that it went ahead, obviously, but it would have been nice to have a bit more warning so some fans could have made the trip as well. Yeah, well, we've got enough kit with Macron and Blaise and done it that I guess you have a marker pen, you can have a bit of fun with Macron is a you-know-what beneath it. And then he, he wouldn't like that getting broadcast around Europe. So um, probably probably easy for us to, to have that political sway. Um, obviously, fans, and I'm not sure there's a single Falcons fan who was there. There might have been the odd one, but um, the TV camera certainly didn't zoom around them. But um, I paid my Caron Euros and, what is it? Let's say Nerf on, because I can't What do they do? 420s, 19? What's that? Mm. Catravan, D-Snerf, Sense. Yeah. And um, it was better value than I've paid for a pint in town a few times. So uh, it was well worth the money. There's no um, TV commentary, which I think in a way was a blessing because you didn't have some overinflated narcissist wittering on. You actually could listen to what was going on. The referee mic turned fully up. And for once, I thought the referee had quite a good game. Um, don't know why he can't referee us every week. He's a Welsh guy. I don't know what he's called, but um, he seems to do a reasonably good job. Just let the game flow. And it was nice to see a number of times him just saying, get on with it, play, play on. Um, you don't always see that in the Premiership. It seems like he's one of the referees where he prefers not to blow his whistle if he can. Let the game flow. Well. And also, I think they actually probably had the rub of the decisions, which I don't think is often the case in the Premiership. Well, I mean, even the radio commentary was saying, 
actually pretty favourable things about the referee, which is first time, I don't know, first time maybe, I can't even remember. Um, but uh, no, it's, it's good to have like uh, that perspective because obviously you can hear the referee much more clearly and kind of get more of an idea of what's going on. I know that obviously you can, you do get the referee feedback on like normal TV commentary, but it's not quite the same. And you're right. I mean, some of the TV commentaries is dire. Either you do get, as you say, a, a bit of a self-indulgent former player or whatever, and a wittering on commentator, or you just sometimes get, you know, like you're on the uh, press the red button BT job where you just have a sort of wittering commentator for the whole game. Um, no, I thought it was a nice change. I mean, I suppose in future, I, the way around that is just to mute it all the time, isn't it, really? It was, it probably was worth the money, the four euros 99, and I guess same thing again this coming weekend. And I guess if you were really tech savvy, you could pause your video and then sync it to the um, radio commentary so you get. Best of both worlds. So the game itself, I thought I had a good feeling about the evening when in the first minute, Callum Chick absolutely bulldozed someone. Uh, it was one of these passes where you could see Callum Chick had read the play and then the next thing you know, he's um, lined him up and as the player's catching the ball, he gets absolutely obliterated. Then Collett dives over the, and uh, wins the penalty for holding on. And that was something to with Collett all night. He was everywhere. He was excellent. He just shows um, what a good player he is and how unfortunate he's been to get very little game time because he was all over the park, being a menace all the time. Defensively, he was um, putting his tackles well. And I think that um, it's nice to have, I think, what you call a traditional open side where... They're all over the pitch and getting to the breakdown first and just being a nuisance and getting their hands all over the ball and just making it so that the, the opposition have to put in a couple of extra forwards into every ruck and it slows it down and means that we're on top of it more in defence. Whereas I think sometimes, although we've got very good players often playing open side, they are more of a blind side, I'd say, than an open side. They don't necessarily have the speed to the breakdown, which he does. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Collett is, like, I don't think he's ever let anyone down when he has actually get some game time. But you're right, I think he does have a sort of a different dimension. I mean, they all have that physicality, but he's also incredibly mobile as well. I think particularly in the breakdown, as you say, he's quite a threat. I mean, he's someone who perhaps would like to see a bit more, but of course, you know, competition is so strong in that position. Um, and it's just unfortunate for him. But I guess, you know, the whole point of these games, isn't there, is that you use players like that who are on the fringes and give them more game time. And, you know, there's no reason why you look at some of these players like Collar who are performing well when they're given the opportunity. Yes, I know it's only in the Challenge Cup, but perhaps if they earn the right to, they should play in the Premiership as well, considering some of our Premiership form recently. Yeah, he's one of these players where... Um... I don't think you'll see him on the bench very often. And I say that because he's quite specialist. Um, you see it with England, how they never put Radwan on the bench. They'd start him, but they don't put him on the bench. The same with Collett, because he's an open side, he, he would never really play 6-8 and he probably couldn't play second row that effectively. Whereas I think everyone else in the back row, if he needed to, push comes to shove, they could kind of go in any of the loose five positions in the pack. And when you've got a bench that's limited in numbers the way it is, you want somebody who's got that versatility on the bench. And that's why Radwan, I think, didn't get... Um, so much time in the in autumn internationals because they tended to put um, one of the players that could play potentially centre or fullback on the bench instead just because of that versatility that you end up with. I thought overall, um, the first half, we played reasonably well. Once again, it's a shame not to get more points to the board. We got our points very early on. A um, bit of broken play and um, then Earl chipped it through and Stewart ended up with a fumbled ball and he dived in it and plopped over the line and I think that he deserved it. He's quite lively all night. And then I thought also in broken play, Blumeyer was get, getting it all over the place, um, carrying it well. 
showing that he really is a good quality player that um, we don't necessarily see enough of. The academy boys, uh, not the academy boys, their first teamers now, but the ones that have come through the academy really showed that the academy really is something. The match day squad, I think, 20 out of the 23 were English or academy produce. I can't remember exactly, but it was certainly up there and just shows really what a good production line we're developing in that respect. Yeah, I was going to say a special mention for Farrah, Montgomery and Basham, really, because I thought they all were really good um, as and when they, they came on um, or started. <laughs> Earl as well, I thought, played well, did well for, for the uh, first try, certainly, of course. Okay, 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 I thought, again, was really good. Yeah, but as you say, I mean, that is perhaps a strength that the club does have, is that we seem to... I know this is kind of like a slow burner and a slowly but surely, et cetera, et cetera, but we do have a really strong academy and it does take time, but perhaps we are starting this season, perhaps we are starting to see some of the fruits of that a bit more. Um, so in some ways, in that regard, the future is bright. And obviously, you know, that's something deliberately the club is trying to do in which we're not a club which is going to rely a lot on big money transfers and big, you know, overseas stars and names, because obviously we can't do that. It's unsustainable for us. So we have to kind of look to our academy perhaps more than other clubs. Um, not saying that clubs don't have good academies. Obviously, a lot of them do. But um, we really need to rely on ours. And I think because we've had, we've had to rely on ours, we are starting to see the fruits of that now. Yeah, um, you mentioned Rokoki Kulki was really good. Um, we'll go to his last-minute score in a minute, but... Um... The middle 80 minutes of the match, there's a lot that we could work on. Um, sometimes we looked a bit vulnerable again in defence. But um, on the whole, we managed to nullify a lot of what came towards us quite effectively. And it was inevitable they were going to score at some point, the amount of territory and possession they had, and it, it happened. But um, in about the 50, 50th minute, um, McGuigan came on for Blamey, which I think maybe he's resting him for England duty coming up. I don't know what Eddie Jones may or may not have said. A bit more concerningly, Wakoki Koki ended up on the wing because Burrell came on for Radwan. And when Radwan went off, it must have been about 55, 60 minute mark. Um, I watched him as he was walking off the pitch and he looked a bit ginger on his uh, leg. You can't quite tell if he's hobbling or whether it's a funny syndrome, he might have got a dead leg or whatever. But I do hope it was nothing serious because it was certainly one that made you think, hang on a second, that's not part of the game plan. Um, so Varel went on um, inside centre, I thought, or outside centre, I'm not sure where it, where it was. And um, Rokoki Koki moved to the right wing, which is ultimately where, where he scored from. And um, for the first time this year, we didn't kick the ball away. And that was because we didn't have to. And what happened? We scored. It was the 79th minute, or in about the 77th minute, we were in their half, and we did a bloody box kick. And you think, why on earth are you doing that? Anyway, we got the ball back in about the 79th minute, deep inside our own, or not deep inside, midway inside our own half. And we actually put phases together, built a try-scoring opportunity. And it was interesting that when we scored our try in the last minute, um, we had built reasonably good phases before it. And then the ball got passed out. And Lukok, I think for the first time all season, I've seen him pass it. Um, he's a centre. And he, it was quite interesting because I think he could have actually drawn a man and made it a lot easier for a cocky-cocky because he passed it quite early. And Koki Koki gets it on the wing, and it's one of these all-or-nothing ones, and he scampers around the outside of the first man. You think, go on, don't get Bullen's touch, and then there's kind of a pile of bodies in the corner, and sure enough, on the replays, he's done an excellent job of staying in field and getting the ball down. And there we are, we've won it with the last play of the game, um, a minute into injury time. Rewinding a bit back to the first one about Radwan, um, I wonder, actually, if he's been fully fit the past couple of months, because I know he hasn't featured a couple of times, and when he has, there's been 
there's been criticism on the radio actually saying that he hasn't involved himself as perhaps as much he should do in games and he's not looking for the ball as much or it hasn't quite had the same impact. I do wonder if he has been nursing a bit of a knock because oh, I can't which game it was now. There was definitely a home game he featured in. He did take quite a big knock. Maybe Worcester in the Challenge Cup or game or so before that he did take a big knock and you're a bit like ooh ah oh, sort of thing and he played on eventually I think he did go off but he's sort of been in and out a bit since then um, and I, I do really wonder if Radwan is, is fully fit actually um, I honestly suspect he might not be I know obviously he's been playing but I don't know it's just something's not quite right there um, to the point about putting phases together yes absolutely there's been times where for whatever reason, you know, we, we've had to put phases together. We can't kick the ball away, generally, obviously, if we're trying to chase the game. And when they have done that, they've actually looked all right. They look way more dangerous than when we just kick it away. Because, you know, we always criticise about when we kick it away, it just goes back to where it was before. We make no ground and we're no better off. Where, well, if we do get the phases together, I don't know if something just kind of clicks, saying, all oh, right, no, we have to be really accurate now. We can't make any mistakes or whatever. And we've got to get this right. And just that kind of subconscious level means that it actually becomes pretty accurate and far more effective. And, you know, sometimes they, they do, you know, get something from it, um, as was shown rather successfully the other night. But just goes to show, you know, if they put their mind to it and, you know, they don't resort to doing it as sort of like a panic station thing, then we can get places where we manage to string a few phases together. So that, let's just hope that a lesson's been learned there, I guess. Let's do that a bit more. But you know, we'll see, I suppose. They unfortunately still like their box kicking, don't they? So uh, we'll see what happens. Although it has to be said, um, I think someone might have given them a royal thing after the last couple of weeks, because even when they did do the uh, infernal box kicks, they um, actually chased them. Not just box kicks, kicks out of hand in general. The kick chase was a lot better than I've seen it in uh, recent weeks. There was almost these times when they're tackling the defender as he caught it. And it had to be done, actually, because the... Toulon, not the Toulon, the Beerit's fullback, I can't remember his name. Um, he looks a very handy player, and it wouldn't surprise me if we see him go and play. So at the end of the match, um, they actually, when I was, uh, left the um, the stream on for a few minutes, and it ended up with him being interviewed, and he was interviewed in English, actually, because he's South African. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if you see him doing the circuit in a few years for various clubs in uh, maybe Super Rugby or... Um, that maybe even comes to the Premiership. He was quite a handy player and he's still quite young. Well, I mean, I suppose the point on Biarritz is that I think they're really, well, they're, they're, they're rock bottom of the top 40. They're really struggling. I suspect they probably are going to go down. So, you know, you imagine some of their best players will end up at other clubs, I would have thought. Um, so, yeah, but I was interested to see, of course, your Stefan Armitage was there, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. play, <laughs> playing Biarritz, last time I saw him was, I watched highlights, I think it just came on Facebook or something, in the summer when they had the playoff with Biarritz and uh, Armitage got the winning drop goal penalty when they had a penalty shootout. And um, yeah, so he was a bit famous, he was famous on rugby social media for a month or two when, when that happened. Uh, but yeah, no, I completely forgot, obviously, he plays Biarritz and it was quite funny to see him sort of trundling around for them. Yeah, he's got a grey beard now. He's been going on for years and years. He's one of these players where Yes, he went and played in France, so he never really got the opportunity to play for England the same way other people did. But he's a very different number eight to the England mould. He's must be about five foot ten, five foot eleven, a lot more dynamic. He's a bit more like um, Simmons, sort of number eight, and he just doesn't fit the Eddie Jones or whoever was before Eddie Jones mould. He's never really had a look in, but he's always been a fantastic player. And um, one other player that you might have seen on the team sheet of Buritz 
was um, Mr. Olmsted. If you remember him from a couple of years ago when he played for them, he was on the team sheet playing second row for them. Yeah, I think he has been at Biritz for a couple of years now. He joined them last season when their sort of promotion push. He's a, or, or maybe even season before, but he has played in the Division Two there for at least a season or so with Biarritz, and obviously part of their promotion team, and he, he's there now. But now, yeah, nice to see him, you know, playing in the top fourteen. You know, still there, still going on, and still appearing in the top flight competitions. So I, I did notice when uh, scrolling through our social media, there were one or two requests, at least, for you to actually sing the really witty chant you came up with about our tri-scoring hero and I wonder if you can indulge both myself and our listeners uh, with a rendition of that chant perhaps. Well it's one of these things where I've had a few beers whilst watching the game and there's a reason to celebrate so I know we've made a silly comment about his surname before because it sounds like the hokey cokey and then I thought hang on a second keep you need to keep your things in and not go out so I I quickly typed away on the keyboard and um I want to hear the South Stand singing it because we don't get many player-specific songs in rugby like you do in other sports. I think the only one I can really think from memory is that uh, he's big, he's round, he's worth a million pound, Mickey Ward, but we don't get to sing that much anymore, especially since he's only a coach now, not a player. So I'll, I'll give you a rendition and I hope to hear it on the South Stand terraces at some point. So keep your right leg in, don't go out, do the cokey-cokey and get the ball down. That's what it's all about. Hey, George McCokey, Cokey, Cokey. George McCokey, Cokey, Cokey. George McCokey, Cokey, Cokey. Knees bent, arms stretched. Rah, rah, rah. You said you were still the accountant, aren't you? <laughs> I'm not going to make it as an opera singer. I was going to say, it's probably worth, worth um, keeping your day job. But uh, no, it, no, that was, wasn't that entertaining, everyone? You know, that's a, I'm sure that's a good minute or two, which listeners i'm sure will be pleased they won't be able to get back but uh yeah i mean come on come on south stand let's uh let's hear a new chant i mean uh, well, sure maybe i could be like it. um the guy that wrote the lyrics for elton john so i can write them i can write them know what it's supposed to sound like but i just can't sing maybe i'm better chanting it than singing it i don't know well yeah i mean it's like when, when you do actually hear sort of these chants in well let's say football for example you know you hear a chant for a new player and you sort of think you know how the you know who's come up with that so soon or ever. You know you don't you don't quite kind of understand how they immediately come about and how they catch on. So uh, maybe you can get someone in the South Stand to have a couple of pints from their Toby Flood, you know, clacky cup thing, and then uh, uh, start singing that. You never know, it'll catch on. But, uh, That's funny actually because when I was little, I used to ask my dad when he I watched Football Focus or Match of the Day or whatever in Sunday morning, and um, I used to ask dad how all the fans knew the words to the songs that they were singing. And my dad told me that when they went into the grounds, they got given hymn books like you did at, the, at church. So I just assumed, oh, yeah, you go into church, you get given your hymn book, you open up a number, whatever, and then sing a song out of it. Dad had told me that this is how all the fans knew the songs and they got given their hymn books on the way. And so that was me when I went to my first NUFC game at St. James's Park, wondering where the hymn books were so I'd know what songs to sing. Didn't know that they um, had to had to be learned over the years and handed down through generations. So um, maybe that's an idea. We don't get a printer programme anymore, but maybe you could um, stand at the uh, South Stand entrance and give out flyers with the Bokoki Koki song on to, to everyone going in there. And then there could be like a, a moment, I don't know, the 20th minute or whatever, 
or 13th minute if he's playing centre or who knows when everyone can launch into the Wakoki Koki song well I mean if that doesn't sort of inspire a win or two uh, I'm not quite sure what else will really isn't it uh, <laughs> alright one for the scrapbook that one I think one other point which I'd like to have a quick chat about is the horrible French Bounau kickers um, Conan was getting it both barrels from it wasn't just the crowd it was stadium noise and all the rest of it and so the thing where when we always have respect to kicker on the big screen and everyone's saying shh around Kingston Park, it's certainly a different culture in France where it seems to be fair game to put them off as much as possible. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, funnily enough, you see that in Super Rugby. Um, you know, the, when the kickers are kicking, they make all sorts of noise, and not just the crowd, but there's you know, there's all sorts of stadium noises, I guess, in general, um, deliberate or not trying try to put the kicker off. I think it seems to be sort of a, is it a British thing or British Isles thing, where it seems to be most respect the kicker. Though I do remember, actually, having said that, I mean, whether they, they keep to it or not, I don't know. But I do remember um, when we were last in Toulon, they definitely had the, uh, the sign-up Oh, I've traveled with the French ones. Respect it was like, uh, really yeah, respect it. Yeah, it was like respecting their, their butter, whatever it is. Uh, um, yeah, so I mean, they, they put the sign and whether they keep to it or not, I can't, I can't remember if they did or not, but it's probably, yeah, it's a cultural thing. It must be. But having said that, they definitely do that in Super Rugby. I've seen that, you know, Australian, New Zealand games down there. They, they, they make noise during the kicker, but. Yeah, it's, it's not nice to see because, you know, it's one of these kind of core aspects of, you know, gamemanship in rugby that you like to see is that, you know, you respect the kicker no, no matter what. Um, but I don't know, in some ways, is it any worse when at Kingston Park they play Sweet Caroline when he got like a player with down with a serious head injury or something, you know? Oh, I thought I'll get that in there because that really hurts me. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Actually, one thing that, to be fair, the French weren't using their PA system for was blasting out all god-awful tunes at every opportunity. But um, I remember Jimmy Gopeth once saying that he, or when he first came to England, he found it really distracting, the silence, when he was kicking, and he preferred a bit of noise. And I've heard other kickers say that they don't like silence either. And given that Conan didn't miss a kick, and a couple of them were pretty tricky ones as well, Maybe we should all make a racket every time Colin's kicking it because it certainly didn't do any problems. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, actually. Um, if you sort of turn on its head like that. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're someone like Gopher, if you, you've, you're in New Zealand and you've kind of got used to kicking with noise, then, yeah, I mean, I can imagine because obviously it's the other way around. If you're used to kicking with in silence and then you get noise, that can be off-putting or the other way around. I guess it's what you're used to and whatever the culture is that you sort of come from. But uh you're right. I mean, it didn't face Conan. I mean, it could be that this is just a red herring about nothing because a kicker just kicks or misses where, whether it's, you know, blaring noise or not. But I suppose we could try it, couldn't we? How about, you know, we play tunes when uh, Conan or Hodgson's about to go up to take a kick and then uh, have silence for the rest of the game. Let's try that one. We should have a big sound to disrespect the kicker, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, let's get on to some, some more serious stuff because there, there is things that we need to chat about. Um Obviously, we've chatted about the Buricks game. Uh, next up's Toulon. You can pay for that again, uh, pay for view next week. It's very easy to do, actually. It's on the epcr.tv website. And you, you log in, you pay your details, and there you are. You've got the game. And it's a Saturday evening. What time is it? Is it the French time is an hour different. French, so. Yeah, French time is 9 o'clock, so 8 o'clock here again. Yeah, Saturday night, so miss it, miss out. Um, also on the TV front, there's been talk today of ITV bagging five live fixtures for the rest of the, the Premiership season. Not really clear what they'll be. My hunch will be 
final and semi-finals and probably a couple of other big ones with presumably London clubs. But yeah, it's interesting that's happened after the shambles at the start there without even having any highlights on terrestrial TV. Long time since club rugby's been on terrestrial TV. I mean, do you remember the days when you used to have the, the cup? You had your Tetleys and your Power Gen Cups, wasn't there? That, that used to be on. I think you've got the later rounds on that because I, I remember us beating pretend bees and the semi-final on BBC. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, but it'd be nice to have at least sort of highlight show. I mean, to be fair, I do think it's quite good. They do have the highlights on the internet because you can just obviously just watch your Falcons and if you just want, and that's it. You don't need to bother with all your Flatmans and then whatnot, you know, whittering on for an hour-long programme. But yeah, it's good because they're not, as I say, for me personally, I'm pretty happy with just watching it online, but it's good that there is some sort of coverage of there. There is some sort of representation of a rugby program on terrestrial TV because oh, well, obviously, you know, it's good for the game and good for the competition. Um, so yeah, that's good. I mean, as you say, absolute farce. Uh, it's taken half a season for them to sort out some sort of package, um, but at least it's something. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you saw the article. I didn't really, but uh, at least not behind the paywall. Um, and I'm not sure if it's going to carry on after this season or it's just initially for this season. I'm not sure really. It's probably one of these things where, all the parties are way up and they'll make some decision that's ultimately going to be based on finance, but certainly moving in the right direction. And even if it's just trying these things, at least they're actually trying it as opposed to just saying no. So yeah, it's progress. Also last week we expressed concern about the financial state of the club. Dean Richards had a few things to say about that, basically storming a teacup. Still doesn't quite get to the bottom of why it is that it ended up in the press and it sounds like players had made a complaint to the RFU about it maybe internal communications weren't as good as um, they perhaps should have been, but it's one of these things where, do we give them the benefit of the doubt for that, or do we assume it's an absolute shambles and they're, they're talking it down? I don't know. I mean, there's no smoke without fire. I mean, I do genuinely believe, or assume, believe, whatever wording you want to use, to a degree, um, something did happen, because otherwise it would, you know, it's not so much like football where, you know, you have any sort of story. It, generally, when these things appear in rugby papers or in, in rugby sections of sport papers, there's generally some truth to them. Maybe it was overblown. You don't know, maybe it has been resolved amicably in the end. There probably was some frustration. Down there, as you say, could we use miscommunication? Or also, there's definitely been some fault or some negative aspects somewhere. But to what degree that is, I mean, we don't know. We've just got to hope it's kind of being put to bed now. It doesn't really kind of affect things going forward, really. It's not often we promote a rival rugby podcast, but um, you picked something up during the week where War Chairman Seymour was um, talking to various names from the past, such as Haskell. Yeah, so it was, uh, um, I don't know, I wouldn't say it's more well-known than ours, but it's one called The Good, The Bad and The Rugby, with a, I suppose they do manage to get on a few former players and current players, but, uh, you know. Um, yeah, so uh, Seymour Cody was on there as a guest. It wasn't so much he was interviewed as, like, a one-to-one interview. He was part of a panel, because I think the one of the themes of that episode was that... Um, about sort of the future of the sports. So they had Curdy on as a, obviously a club owner, and then they had, I've forgotten his name now, but the, the owner of Newport Gwent Dragons on as well. That's supposed to give a, you know, a opinion from another league or slightly different position or whatever. And it was more sort of like the, the panel, which included Ellis Genge, not your favourite Haskell, but there was Genge on, on this on this one, um, sort of asking the questions or whatever. And it was sort of a general discussion about the state of the game or the game going forward. Not so much specifically about the Falcons, which is obviously, I think, when I listened to it, I was hoping to get tidbits off, but it was more sort of Curdy in his role. I think he's had the past of 
he's had a more general role in terms of the league um, rather than, than the Falcons. And I think he's kind of was talking about that a lot more as opposed to being a club owner. Though he did mention aspects of that. Um, but there was very little in terms of sort of, oh, well, at the Falcons, this is happening or that's happening. Um, though it was interesting, you know, this was, would have been recorded, I presume, before it all sort of went off about, you know, the payments. You were saying that if there are any disagreements and it's generally a sort of a committee of senior players that go and speak to him and Dean Richards and Dean Richards is involved in every sort of as- rugby aspect or even beyond the club decision or direction that the club takes, which shows actually, even as director of rugby, how entrenched sort of in the workings of the club Dean, Dean Richards actually is nowadays. But yeah, as I say, um, it was more sort of about the state of the game and sort of the state of the club game and how that can be progressed rather than specifically any sort of uh, Falcons viewpoint. Um, I thought the interesting was at the end when I think they tried to ask more club specific viewpoints. So they asked you what Greg Drake said, oh, where do you see yourself when you get club in five or 10 years time? And, you know, he was talking about, oh, you know, we're hoping to win this or win that or progress this or whatever. And I think uh, Cody was being deliberately more coy with it. And he was just talking about really what they want to do is expand the game in the Northeast. He says, you know, a silverware would be nice or whatever, but that's not really the objective by the sounds of it. It's more a case of just expanding the game and trying to get more in the future bums on seats. Um, and they asked him specifically about Radwine. So saying, do players like Radwine for a club like the Falcons attract more support? And his answer was interesting because he was saying, no, it doesn't really, at least not in the short term. He says that what it does, it gets more young players into the game. And then obviously once they're interested in the game, they're then going to watch and obviously that helps revenue. Um, but he was saying that it doesn't really help in the short term specifically, which I was kind of surprised with because I thought that, you know, short term players like Radwan playing for you must generate interest with sort of casual supporters. Um, but interesting to hear that. And he was also talking, about, well, he had a bit of a tip for tap with Genj because Cody's very much in the camp of this is why we have, this is why we have a salary cap, you know, reasons A, B and C. Um, and Ellis Genj is very much in the opposite saying we shouldn't have the salary cap and why should, the what he was sort of getting at is why should clubs like Leicester or whatever, or other clubs like Saracens, et cetera, et cetera, Bristol, why should they have to have salary caps just to kind of have smaller clubs being able to kind of keep up? You know, you're going at the, the pace of the slowest horse was a phrase they kept they kept using. Um, and Cody was trying to sort of bat that way, talking about how it's, you know, it helps with the competition of the league, et cetera. But yeah, if you do have, have a bit more than a few minutes, about 45 minutes, I think, for, for that part anyway, if you have about spare 45 minutes, half an hour, it is worth having a listen because it gives you a perspective, not necessarily from a Falcons perspective, but a club owner perspective about sort of the league and the game in general. But it was interesting. I do recommend if you do get a chance to have a bit of a listen, if you can. Yeah, I assume it's uh, via usual podcast mediums, but you presumably listen to this one, so it shouldn't be too hard to find, is it? Do you have to fast forward a bit to get to it? Or is it pretty much straight into it? No, you do have to fast forward. Um, I can't remember exactly. About halfway through, uh, you'll start hearing sort of Cody's voice and then you know uh, when, to, when to pause it. Um, so, uh, it, yeah, it is about halfway through. I think the early part of it, they talk about it, sort of growing it in America or whatever. They have an American on who's involved in the major league rugby over there but yeah it's about so it's the second half as i say he's like on a panel more than sort of a block of it interviewing him so uh yeah i think it's just, it's about the sort of halfway mark but give it you know play around with your rewind and fast forward buttons and see if you can get it so if we do a roundup of the results um i'll do the uh 
the Challenge Cup first, the important one that we're in, um, and then I followed up with the Champions Cup afterwards, what used to be called the Heineken Cup. So on Friday night, obviously, as we've discussed, we beat Biarritz 30, uh, 13 points to 17 with a last-minute try by George Wilcocky. Cocky, um, in a different pool entirely, Breve beat Pau 33 points to 25. Um, also in our pool this week, um, on Saturday, Worcester lost 23 points to 34 against Toulon. Um, and then in pool B, Benetton beat Dragons, not the Newport Grand Dragons, they're just called Dragons now. Not political history to that one, so don't get it wrong. Um, Benetton beat Dragons 23 points to nine, and Perpignan lost six points to 37 against Lyon. And then finally, London Irish beat Edinburgh by a point, 21 points to 20. Today, there were no Challenge Cup fixtures. Um, so if we go on to the Champions Cup, also known as the Highland Cup, um, on Friday night, Harlequins beat Cardiff, 36 points to 33. Last five minutes, that was a Marcus Smith show, and he scored a try, converted it, and then scored a penalty to, to come back from 26 points to 33 down to win 36 to 33. Also, Castro lost to Munster, 13 points to 16. On Saturday, Ospreys lost 10 points to 25 against Racing 92, or Racing as they're sometimes known. Um, Exeter put 52 past Glasgow to their 17, and La Rochelle beat Bath 39 points to 21. Wasps beat Toulouse 30 points to 22. Connacht lost by a point against Leicester 28 points to 29, and Bristol beat Stade Francais 28 points to 17. Today, being Sunday, um, things got a bit silly in Leinster. They beat Montpellier 89 points to 7. I've got no idea what's happened there. I haven't looked at whether there's a load of COVID cases and they've fielded in the camera team. I don't know, but that is a, a truly horrendous scoreline for Montpellier. Um, Northampton lost 20 points to 24 against Ulster. And Bordeaux beat Clenethley Scarlets, or just Scarlets as they now seem to be called, 45 points to 10. And then, um, as it stands, Sale have just gone 19 points to 12 up at Clermont or then. That one is still in process and there's a bit of time left, so let's see what what materialises there. I'm not going to bother going through all the tables because, quite frankly, I don't care about all of them. But um, if we just go for the, our table, we're nicely positioned. Well, we were top of our table after our game, but now Toulon are following their victory because they've got two bonus points against our one. But basically, it means it's all to play for next week against Toulon. If we win that game, we're right in the driving seat. Whereas if we lose, then we have to hope that Toulon um, do poorly and we end up with a bonus point win against Zebra in our final group game later in the year. In the regional results, Malden Park, uh, that game was postponed, I presume, for COVID reasons against Blackheath. Um, National League 2 North, Bladen lost to Harrogate, 12 points to 29, and Tyndale lost to Lucktonians, 32 points to 14. So I think that um, Harrogate would around Bladen in the league, so it's not looking very good at all for them. Billingham absolutely thrashed Northwich and North Premier, 80 points to 7, and Annick had a high-scoring defeat but picked up a bonus point, potentially two, against Lynn in a 35 points to 28 defeat. Um, in North 1 East, Durham lost to Heath, Morpeth lost to Moortown, and Concert got actually hammered by Driffield. So not good for the North East representation, apart from Billingham's scoreline. In Durham Northumberland 1, um, all the games went ahead, and I think the score of the, the week probably has to go... See, they're going to go to Billingham for their 80 points to 7 win over Northwich, or it could arguably go to Stockton for their 82 points to 5 win over Horden and Peter Lee. So, I think that draws to a close this week's episode. Um, 
we'll speak to you again after next week's, hopefully with a, another victory in Toulon, second time in three years. Wouldn't that be nice? Was it second time in four years? I can't remember now. Three, three and a half years? I can't. Who knows? But um, yeah, I want to hear the, uh, the South Stands and Full Voice of the Cocky Cocky song next time we're at Kingston Park, although that's a bit of time away. So thank you for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.